tuning in to H1's Toward Health podcast. We are super excited once again um, to be chatting with some of our subject matter experts on some really important topics. Um, joining us today, I have Stacey Rifkin, who is VP of Client Solutions and Strategy here at H1. Welcome, Stacey. So glad you're here. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, I've heard it. And I know that you've got deep roots in pharma life sciences. Sure. Happy to. Um, really happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I've been in pharma life sciences for the past 20 years. Actually, it's my second career. Started my career in politics, but that's another story for another podcast. Um, but I started my career in pharma life sciences um, in the early 2000s with Merck. I spent my time at first in the field. I was a field sales rep in one of the smallest geographies in the country. I had 60th to 90th Street on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And there were nine of us covering just that territory, just for Merck. There were nine other Pfizer reps there, nine other AstraZeneca reps. It was a crazy time in pharma sales. Um, but I wasn't really a good salesperson. <laughs> um, I was the kind of person who went off message and wanted to dive deep into the data. And I was really fortunate that Merck was of the opinion that they could take smart people with good people skills and teach them the science that they needed to know. And so early in my career, I became a scientific liaison with Merck, where I stayed for the next 10 years at Merck, covering the New York and Connecticut areas, basically Yale, Montefiore, Einstein, um, for their cardiometabolic franchises. I left Merck in around 2014 and went over to Beringer Ingelheim, where I was a headquarters-based scientific relations expert. And so I started my career there doing KOL identification, profiling, and strategy for their diabetes franchise. I moved into pipeline and got an opportunity to learn a lot about early clinical development, um, and got to cover every disease from head to toe and left Beringer with an opportunity to join Allergan to build a similar uh, skill set there. So joined Allergan supporting their specialty franchises where I built a stakeholder relations team focused on really integrating the KOL strategy throughout the organization. That's where I met Ariel. So um, H1 came into us as a vendor for our infectious disease uh, assets. And we bought H1. I met Ariel. And um, as history kind of goes, we were at um, an opportunity where he said that we have a lot of experience with pharma clients, but we don't have anybody who's ever been in pharma come to H1 and build that uh, expertise here. And so that's what I've been doing. And so I know that you've got an amazing team that supports our, you know, portfolio of customers day in and day out. Really quick, what are some of those key things, key efforts that your team makes on a daily basis to help our, our pharma customers? Yeah, absolutely. So our team is really focused on making sure that our clients get all of the benefits of the H1 data. So whether that data is available in the platform or in the underlying data, we're really there to partner with our clients, understand their business strategy, 
and give them the full benefit of all the data we have to offer. Okay. That's interesting. I mean, I've seen the work and the output and I know how meaningful it is for our clients and something that I've been hearing this year, you know, and at several industry conferences is just how much the landscape has changed, right? COVID changed everything. And as a medical science liaison, which you, you mentioned, you, you know, you, you spent some time kind of out there in the field. Um, this whole, you know, relationship with thought leaders and KOLs is like the crux of the job, right? It's so important. How has sort of the MSL Metafair's relationship with KOLs, key opinion leaders changed? Has the profile for the typical KOL changed as well? Yeah, I think both have definitely evolved since I started out. 20 years ago, we were fully focused. I mean, I mentioned it, right? When I said, what, what, what territory did I cover? I said New York and Connecticut, but I covered Yale. I covered Yale and I covered Einstein, right? And it was all about ivory tower. Where can MSLs access the thought leaders? Those thought leaders were all in those academic medical centers. And so I would spend my weeks kind of going back between the Bronx and New Haven, calling on KOLs, calling on thought leaders in ivory towers. I think that's probably the biggest change that I've seen with our clients over the past two decades is that the thought leader doesn't live in an ivory tower anymore. First of all, none of us for two years were actually at the locations where our, you know, where our, where our address really said we were right, where our company was, so to speak. And so first, so for, first and foremost, the KOLs can be anywhere these days, right? They can be in their practice, they can be in their offices, they can be virtually online, as well as the fact that we're not necessarily thinking just about Ivory Tower anymore. Right. There's so much that my clients have been doing that I've been seeing over the past two decades that has really shifted us away from the ivory tower. It's not to say that the ivory tower isn't there. Nobody's going to walk away from those centers of excellence, those academic places that are really driving cutting edge research. But it also means that there are thought leaders in a lot of different places. How has social media played a role? I mean, we'll kind of get into it a little bit, but like here at H1, we, we emphasize a lot, right? The need to really understand who the digital opinion leaders are in, in the field. How has social media played a role and how do you really sort of separate a traditional KOL from a digital opinion leader? So I'm definitely one of those people who doesn't want to give up on some of the more established thought leaders and their adoption of social media. So I'll be the first to say that some of the biggest thought leaders that I ever worked with have amazing social media presence and have adapted to this new reality of being in an environment where they can share information quickly, directly from a social media platform. But there's also a different kind of thought leader who has started to emerge, and that's that digital opinion leader that we talked about. It's the people who have grown up as digital natives, who are just so used to being online, talking to their peers, that it's natural for them to want to share, exchange ideas, and really start to challenge each other in an online space. And so digital opinion leaders are really becoming so much more relevant for all of our opportunities in terms of just really who's talking to who 
online as real time as the information becomes available. And it's, I can only imagine it's kind of challenging, right? There's so much happening conversation on social media. Like how do you really decipher what's meaningful dialogue versus, you know, not meaningful? So what we've learned is that social media is, especially in the med space, is still dominated by healthcare analysts, investors, even bots, right? So we know that if you're searching for information in, on, in the social sphere, you're really going to start to get the information from people who might have a vested interest in what they're saying. They're, they might be reporters who want you to read their articles. They might be investors who want you to invest through them or invest in stocks that they think are going to be profitable. So in order to really dig through the data and understand better, it's really important to have tools like we have at H1 where you can get rid of that noise and really understand who are those thought leaders out there who are talking about things. Yeah, I find I've that's... also seen, I'm sorry, I've also seen that engagement matters. It's almost, it's almost getting easier to tell who's a digital opinion leader by how much followers they have. You're not going to see somebody who's tweeting out about their vacation or their, you know, or their kids or their cat really having the kind of followers that thought leaders have. Thought leaders are thought leaders because they're able to attract an audience that is interested in what they're putting out there and wants to engage with them. Um, so is, is the strategy for an MSL or a medical affairs team um, their engagement strategy. Can you share a little bit about how that approach shifts with a digital opinion leader? I, you talk about the ivory tower, right? It's not this, the way I talk to someone in an ivory tower is probably not the same way I'm going to approach a digital opinion leader. Yeah. Our clients are struggling with engagement with digital opinion leaders, right? They know that they're in a highly regulated environment where Conversations are regulated by fair balance. They're regulated by on and off label activity and really being aware of what they're talking about in a public sphere. So where we've seen most of our clients feel really comfortable is in ingesting the information, understanding it, receiving it. Mm -hmm. So I'll be honest, it's the fewer and further between who I'm seeing actually going back and forth with a thought leader in the public sphere. But what I am seeing a lot of is consuming the information that the digital opinion leader is saying so that when you do go and visit them or when you have a Zoom call with them, when you're in that private environment, now you have a whole different understanding about what they're thinking about. It's almost like the analogy between uh, the nightly news, right? So like the 6.30 news versus cable news network versus uh, Twitter, right? So the nightly news is like yesterday's news. That's like kind of what somebody's publishing. Cable news network is like, maybe that's like what's going on at Congresses. But Twitter is what's happening today. It's what's happening now. And so only understanding their publications or their congresses isn't going to give you the same robust information as understanding what they were talking about yesterday. 
That's a great analogy. I, I like that a lot. So switching gears just a little bit, um, somewhat in the same vein. So I'm really excited. This is actually a concept that, you know, your team um, kind of got us talking about here at H1. And it's this whole, you know, meaty middle. And we've coined now the term uncut gems as a, you know, new type of thought leader. And I'd love for you to just maybe share a little bit more about what is an uncut gem? Yeah, absolutely. So an uncut gem, we kind of came up with the acronym being general experts and meaningful stars. And what we were realizing really quickly was that people were coming to us, asking us for rising stars. But they didn't mean kind of the textbook definition of a rising star, that early career person who had gotten an early career award recently at, you know, from a society who hadn't really had much scientific contribution yet, maybe done a postdoc, but was really early on in their career. That's not exactly who they were looking for. They were looking for diamonds in the rough. And so it's kind of how we came up with the term uncut gems, because what they were looking for was a way to re- Oh, was sorry, was a way to refresh their stale list. They were looking for people who they've looked over before. You know, they looked like rocks, but really they were diamonds. They were needles in haystacks that we were able to uncover for them. People who maybe don't have all the scholarship of the top thought leaders, but are really impactful regionally or even you know, nationally, but haven't gotten up to the level of some of those thought leaders. The truth is, and I joke about this, but a lot of KOLs aren't retiring. And so their scholarship is just always, you know, if you've been doing it for 40 years, you're just going to, you know, accumulate scholarship just by your longevity. And so somebody who maybe has been influential and impactful in the space for 15 years their numbers just aren't going to measure up. They're not going to have the thousands of publications, but they really are diamonds in the rough. And what is most special about them is when you polish them, when you give them that attention, they really start to shine. And I think most medical affairs people have experienced it. They've seen what'll happen when they've found that new person, been able to polish them and engage them and really see their careers take off, see them, their engagement with industry change and see their impact grow. And so what we're really trying to do is support our clients in finding some of those hidden experts. That's, that's great. And I think in general, I mean, just based on this conversation, you've got the more traditional KOLs, which are still relevant, still very important. You have these digital influencers Um, that are really sort of driving a narrative that's important through social media channels, for example. And then you have this group of Uncut Gems, which are folks that are are really interesting point in their career um, and really prime for, you know, a Metaferris team and an MSL to kind of take a hold of them and and help um, evolve uh, the relationship. Are there, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of importance in diversifying the pool, just generally speaking, of thought leaders, medical experts that these teams are engaging with. Um, are there any other types of KOLs that you know these groups should be on the lookout for? I, I hear a lot of things about you know 
treatment leaders, community leaders? Um, what are other types of, of ways to diversify the pool? And then any like just final words in terms of where do you go find them? How do it, is it, is it in a platform like H1? I mean, what are, are there shortcuts? <laughs> so I think, you know, you hit on two. And one of the things you and I've talked a little bit about is this idea is, is it a pyramid or is it a puzzle, right? That, that pyramid idea of that KOL, uh, that global thought leader at the top of the pyramid might really be something of the past. And that it's really more of a bunch of puzzle pieces where, KOLs are one puzzle piece, as are Uncut Gems, as are digital opinion leaders. You mentioned others, treatment leaders, right? Who are those people in the community who are known to their peers as being experts, the ones that they're referring to, the ones that are seeing the most patients with the diseases? I'll also mention, like you said, diversity of thought. We're realizing a lot more that having the same people with the same backgrounds might not be the best way to get a holistic view of a disease or the patient population. And so bringing in people who may be from ethnically or uh, racially or gender-wise different populations themselves can bring a diversity of thought to an engagement program for an MSL. That's always going to be impactful for the business. So where do you find this kind of stuff? I mean, obviously, H1 makes it easy. I think that that's what drew me in to H1 from the beginning was that it was such an intuitive interface to be able to uncover insights like this at my fingertips. Um, but there's a lot of other digging you can do on your own, but having a platform like ours just make, it makes, when I was sitting in pharma, it made my job easy. Um, so that's really, you know, what I would say is, from a digital perspective, it's find a couple of people, start following them, start understanding what they're saying, when they say it, what their audience, how their audience engages with them. From Uncut Gems, that one is something we can partner with you to really help refresh your list. And from a diversity of thought, I think it's a real, it's a matter of really just bringing in new thought leaders whose may not have all of the experience as the decades and decades old KOLs, but who can really bring a fresh new perspective in. No, that's great. And I, you know, having been with H1, not, not that long, I think one of the things that hits home for me is, is all of these efficiencies that, you know, whether it's H1 or another source can provide these teams, right? What that really equals is getting therapies to market faster and more effectively. And there are billions of patients that are, you know, hanging on to hope that there will be a new drug, a new therapy to help them, right, live a better life. And so whatever we can do to make things more effective and efficient on the front end, right, we will do. And so this is this has been super helpful. And thank you for joining us. I'm sure that our audience will be hearing from you more. Um, and thanks to our listeners and stay tuned for the next podcast. Awesome. Thanks so much, Lisey. Appreciate You're it. Welcome. Take care.